Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content. Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. This is a How I Lead segment, and each month we try and focus on a specific calling in the church and interview a few people who have experience in that calling. And this month, we're focusing on Sunday School President. That's right. It's more than just a bell ringer, folks. But if you're new to Leading Saints, it's important that I explain to you that Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And uh, that's why we're interviewing leaders in the church, because we want to stimulate good leadership throughout the church, right? And uh, that's what we do. Check us out at leadingsaints.org. There you can make a contribution. Go give us a five-star rating. What else do they tell you to do? Uh, Leave a Google review on your favorite restaurant. Okay, that's not us. We don't don't have any brick-and-mortar stores yet, but maybe someday there'll be the Leading Saints restaurant. What do we serve there? Okay, this has really gone off the tracks here. But uh, back to our How I Lead segment, I interviewed two Sunday school presidents. One I did actually in person with James Grandin, who is in, when I was in Springfield, Missouri, a big shout out to my friends in Springfield who uh, who made that possible, like Rick McGee, love you, brother. So during the time, this was kind of interesting, uh, James Grandin, he's actually serving as a bishop right now, and uh, we were out to eat, and uh, James tagged along with us with his wife, and during our meal... He mentioned uh, that he was a school principal and that he'd served as a Sunday school president and had a a lot of unique uh, thoughts and ideas and philosophies as it relates to that calling. So I said, hey, while we're in town or while I'm in town, can I interview you? And we literally like left the restaurant, went home. I put a mic in front of him and uh, and we made it happen. So it was and it's great discussion. You'll love it. And Greg Nalder, we found through the kindness of Wendy McKinney, who was kind enough to connect me with Greg and recommend him as a phenomenal Sunday school president. I don't think Greg would use those words, but let's I think he deserves it, especially after you hear this interview. So uh, I interview them both at separate times. We put them on one episode to have a how I lead episode of Sunday school president. So you're going to enjoy it. Make sure you forward this to your favorite Sunday school president in your life. And here is my interview with James Grandin and Greg Nalder, both Sunday school presidents. Today, I find myself in Springfield, Missouri, right? Springfield, Missouri. And and being from Utah, I want to say Springville, but it's not Springville. This is Springfield. And talking with James Grandin. How are you, James? Doing well. Awesome. Nice to be with you. Now, you are a local bishop here currently, right? Yes. And we the McGee's here who are so kind to have me in their home. We were out to dinner and you were invited to come and we had a good conversation. <laughs> and I said, hey, you know, I'm only in town for a short time. Can we do a quick interview? And here we are. You agreed. In between uh, 
courses. He that's caught right. me. Yeah, that was, that's right. That good, good job. <laughs> and uh, maybe explain, uh, this will lead into a lot of our discussion, but uh, you're a principal. How do you explain your day job? Yeah, I'm an elementary school principal. I work with four-year-olds through 11 or 12 years old. And uh, we have, I've been doing that for 25 years. Wow. We've, we've had some remarkable experiences, had the, the privilege to help design and build a, a school, put some pieces together here and do some, have some remarkable experiences. Yeah. And it sounds like a, a rewarding occupation, right? Well, it's it's the joy of learning when you see that that light come on, whether it's in a gospel or a secular uh-huh. sense. It's still about truth. It's about bringing the truth to people and opening their eyes to potential. Nice. How did you get into uh, becoming a a school principal? Well, I discovered that I had a passion for teaching people. I discovered that as a missionary in the Philippines, that when we raised the level of families and individuals, that then all of a sudden they had the potential to achieve more and to be better. And that ignited something in me. I came back from my mission and thought, Oh, this is this is exactly what I want to do. I maybe maybe see yes, and that's that's not an easy gig to get, um, especially in uh, southern Missouri, right? <laughs> yeah, southwest Missouri is not known for for its production of CES names, but there are good teaching colleges here. So, received my bachelor's degree here at Missouri State. Went on and received a master's and a specialist in education and educational leadership, and uh, eventually became a principal and. Uh, I've been doing that for quite a few years now. Yeah, that's great. And I was interested in, in uh, interviewing you because of that background with leadership. And you, uh, before your time as a bishop, you were the stake Sunday school president, right? Yes. And what what years were that? Or what because uh, that sort of changed recently with Come Follow Me and things. But uh, what what was going on in that in that organization when you were serving? Yeah, the dynamic was was uh, getting ready to change, and it was it was uh, I have to give credit to an inspired stake president who decided that he wanted to see teaching and learning become something a little more powerful in his in his gospel classes mm-hmm. uh, throughout the stake. And this was during the time when the only manual uh, or the primary manual w- that we used was uh, Teaching No Greater Call, one of the, uh, the hidden gems, honestly, of the church. It wasn't wasn't well used. Yeah. We all knew it was there, but it was like, what, there wasn't like a formal, like now we have those uh, teacher council meetings, generally speaking. So it wasn't like a formal place to really use them, but there, it was a great resource, right? And there there were a lot of principles and ideas inside that, that um, connected very well with teaching and learning principles that I had been learning, you know, through, through school and through the work that I do. And what I recognized is that truth is truth. Yeah, and and where we can apply it, then we can open more more light and more doors for people. So we started pulling resources from that manual. Uh, in particular, we found in one of the appendices that there was a really nice list of teaching strategies that might be different than lecture. Hmm. Now that that was unheard of at the time because uh, you were a good gospel doctrine teacher if you could talk for the whole time. Yeah. You were an excellent one if you asked a couple of questions and and a couple of people talked in your class. That was that was how high the bar had you know was at the time, and that was considered you know high interaction. And coming from you know a world of elementary students where it was far more common to do some some serious cooperative learning and to have groupings and to, and to have st- all the students have a voice and and all be learning, that was a little more of my vision that we wanted to have something much more interactive and much more rich that people could walk away with. Yeah. 
And before we get into some of those principles, I just want to be talking about your general approach to, to the calling where, because this is a tough calling that I hear from various, you know, brand new Sunday school presidents. And, and obviously the dynamics change a little bit with Come Follow Me, but it can be difficult because you think, well, what you do as a Sunday school teacher is you show up and you teach this chapter and, and then you show up the next week or in two weeks and you, you teach the next chapter. And, and so sometimes we don't know that, you know, the old joke is the Sunday school president rings the bell. That's his, mm-hmm. that's his job, right? right yeah. And so I know there's a lot of Sunday school presidents who are just not sure where they fit in or what they're supposed to do or how to inspire and how to create a dynamic organization in that. And so I think you being a professional educator, that really brings um, a unique uh, perspective to it. And so just generally speaking, how did you, as far as like interact with your ward Sunday school presidents, uh, how did you use your counselors, just that, that general setup of your calling? Well, what we discovered is that one of the keys that didn't exist in our area at the time was good communication. Hmm. Uh, there wasn't a lot of connection between Sunday school presidents inside the stake. They didn't know who each other were, and they didn't know you know what resources that they had access to and how, how to get to them. And so one of our first steps was to make connections between everybody. And as a, and as a stake Sunday school presidency, one of our commitments is that we would get to know our presidents on a more personal level, that we would well, now it's 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 built into come follow me if we if we follow it, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's about uh, getting to know individuals and letting them know of their own worth and importance, just as a savior would. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the stake here in Springfield is it's pretty spread out for, as compared to Utah. But where did you find yourself getting around the stake a lot and and visiting Sunday schools, Absolutely. or how did you approach that? that? That was one of our commitments that we would spend a lot of time on the road. And so, as um, as a presidency, we had decided, and with the support of our good families, that we would be away from home a lot. That we yeah. were going to be in as many wards as we could, and even more than that, we we discovered that there were ways that we could serve outside of just the Sunday block of meetings. It's, and it's wonderful when a stake Sunday school president takes the initiative to show up in classes throughout the stake. I mean, that, yeah. that starts to raise eyebrows. But when you start showing up with plates of cookies on your Sunday school president's <laughs> de- uh, doorsteps, yeah, that then then you, something's really going on. Uh-huh. And so we made it a point to to socially make connections with our with our brethren that we we really wanted to support and nurture them and get to know them as individuals. And I still have amazing friendships with these men that I had the privilege to serve with. Yeah. You know, in uh, stake, you know, organizational presidencies, sometimes the ward side, they're like, they're not sure what they're supposed to get from that uh, stake representative, right? And so from your opinion, from your experience, what should a ward Sunday school president expect from their stake Sunday school president? Or what could they ask them if they feel like they're not getting that support? What I mean, what should they go to them for? Well, what we discovered is that Hearing about things is nice, but modeling is one of the most powerful things that we can do. Huh. And so we made it a point to go around and teach, just to give examples of what we were trying to accomplish as as a presidency. And we would we looked for patterns, uh, and there are marvelous examples of those throughout throughout the, the of course the scriptures and and the teachings of the church. But we would find that the basic doctrines, for example are something that a lot of our seminary kids know by heart. Our seminary teachers know them, mm-hmm. but our adults didn't. They'd never been exposed to that before. And so when we started bringing new strategies from that Teaching No Greater Call manual and pairing that with doctrines of the gospel, amazing things started happening. And we started modeling in our ward conferences. We would take over the adult and the youth classes and we would try and teach them in a new way. 
and get participation. And then we asked everyone to start moving their chair so they could see each other. And there was no more back row you could hide on. Mm-hmm. Boy, that was scary. It mm-hmm. was a hard, there was a lot of pushback from that. Yeah. Um, still is in some, to, yeah, some, yeah. to some degree. <laughs> because it's comfortable to be a passive receiver, but it's more powerful to be an active receiver. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump into some of these principles uh, you mentioned before we hit record. The first one is uh, change takes time. What do you mean by that? And that's that's a hard one to accept sometimes because you might have a vision as a Sunday school president of of this amazing teaching you want going on. Yeah. Um, we wanted to see this in homes. We really had the vision that we were going to see family home evening become a whole new dynamic, and we were going to see all the youth classes change and all the adult classes change, and and many of them did, uh, to be fair. But it wasn't it wasn't something that was going to happen or is realistic to expect to happen overnight. Yeah. And so the analogy I made was, you know, that a crockpot approach is a little more that we're going to keep simmering and working and simmering and working and combining and, and bringing things together, making that change over time and, and expecting that we'll see that change yeah. over time. And were the, were the teacher council meetings happening during that time? That, that didn't exist at the time when we started. Oh, okay. That came in um, about a year into our service. And that was something that is still a major culture change going on yeah. in the church. But boy, when they are done with those, just with those principles alone I talked about, when you really stick to the focus of a teacher council meeting and get get into one doctrine, one practice, and you literally do practice in those council meetings instead of just lecturing at the teachers, mm-hmm. that may sound like a novel approach, but <laughs> wait a minute, no, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. It really becomes a revelatory experience again. Yeah. Yeah. You're modeling what a Sunday school class may look like within those teacher council meetings, right? That's exactly the vision. Yeah. And, and I guess I'll, I'll, this question may come out uh, later on, but the, anything else as far as the, the change takes place? It sounds like it's just a, you just got to stick with it. You're constantly just reengaging with the, the Ward Sunday school, school presidents or the teachers and just helping them along, realizing that it's going to take some time. Well, and each, and each time, I mean, the nature, uh, as you've mentioned and, and many times in the past, there, there, there's uh, leadership in the church is a constantly evolving and changing reality. And the principles that you use are things that you can carry forward. Mm-hmm. But every time you get a new leader, then you as the support team for that leader have to rally around them and help them to take the next steps. Yeah. The next one is uh, as far as this focus on doctrine and, and people. Yeah. What, what we found is that there are lots of amazing things that you can talk about in church classes and there are wonderful tidbits of information as if getting into the social kingdom was going to be a trivia contest. And <laughs> if you know the names of the the middle names of Nephi's brothers, I don't know, something like that. No, it's, it's, it's got to be about just those, those core doctrines, those, those basic meats of the gospel that, that we continue to focus on and, and not lose sight of people either at the same time. And so as we were, as we were teaching and, and training in new ways at, at more conferences in particular, is one of the places where we got this reaction. And we would bring up that concept of using the doctrines of the gospel and new teaching methods with parents. They caught the vision of what that could do to their family. And I had multiple uh, moms in particular, that was one of the neat, oh, yeah. uh, who would come at me and they would say, this is a game changer for me. This is exactly the way I want my home to feel and to be when we're trying to teach our children. And I need to stop talking so much. Mm, yeah, we, we had heard anecdotally some, some research from uh, one of the church schools that there was a question asked of how many of, of 
group of students, a large group, they, they had surveyed how many of you had family home evening when you were when you were at home, and it was a surprisingly small percentage. Uh-huh. And then they asked a second question: How many of you that had family home evening enjoyed family home evening? And that was a minuscule <laughs> percentage. Yeah. Um, and and then they asked why, and the you know the the summary is all they would do is talk at us. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that. That's the last thing we want to have in any of our church classes. All they do is talk at us. Uh-huh. Well, that's that's. So we were trying to change that culture. Yeah, yeah. And as far as the concept of of teaching doctrine, I mean, this is we hear this uh, this idea preached a lot. You know, focus on the doctrine. You know, Elder uh, Woodcamp Packer's quote of doctrine changes behaviors. The study of doctrine changes behaviors more effectively than the study of behaviors changes behaviors. Right. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. So teaching, like if you were to explain to somebody what teaching doctrine looks like, how would you, how would you explain that? Well, we, we would actually have, we had um, a couple of fun approaches that we, that we would try just to see what would happen. And it was amazing sometimes the, the truths that would come out of it. Uh, one was if we were teaching um, about Savior and the Atonement, uh-huh. we might raid the library, pull all the pictures that they have of the Savior out of there, and then spread them all over the floor and ask the class, pick one that resonates with you and teach us what you know about the Savior hmm. and his atonement. And all of a sudden, it wasn't about the teacher standing up and saying, I'm going to read these 10 verses and you're going to hear some good quotes. And one of our jokes was we, uh, we had found a, a cart- an LDS cartoonist who had, who had uh, quipped that, you know, we're now going to hand out quotes for everyone to read. And along with that, here's a testimony that you can read for yourself because you don't, you know, and here's, here's a personal experience that you can read that, and it, it's artificial. It's all, it's too yeah. canned and that's, that, that wasn't all what we wanted. And one of the approaches we tried was we're going to write a new verse to one of your favorite hymns and we're going to pick a doctrine like prophets and revelation uh-huh. and we're going to add a verse to one of our hymns. And it's remarkable to me how many of our apostles have written yeah, right. Hymns. Yeah. Uh, you know, wh- where do they get, wh- where does that come from? Well, I think it's something like this, where they actually dig into it and try to wrestle with and understand more deeply and personally a doctrine of the gospel. And our, our children can do that. Yeah. It's amazing when they do. Yeah. So this is, a, you know, building on that concept of, of doctrine, like sometimes it feels like, you know, as a Sunday school teacher, I'm walking into this classroom and I'm supposed to teach doctrine. Okay. But I'm not supposed to lecture at them. And I need to get them, you know, people talking. But what if people just talk and we don't really get around to the doctrine? So maybe I, I'll just lecture half of the time or, or three-fourths of the time, right? And so this is, you know, I don't think anybody's necessarily wants to bore the room, but they also feel like, well, I, I think I'm supposed to teach doctrine here. And if I just get people talking, you know, Sister Edwards over there, she's going to take take a left turn and then I have to bring her back. And mm-hmm. right. And so sometimes it's just safer. Go back that, to principle one now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so it's going to take time and it, and it will because. Our patterns of teaching in the church are generational. Yeah. Think about how long we've been doing the same thing we've been doing. But if we keep having that vision out there and, and believing that we can go deeper and we can have more substantive and meaningful applications of our teaching, then, it, then we can yeah. get there. And you are, you're saying that, I mean, even with that class participation or somebody holding the, the picture of the Savior and, you know, doctrines still come to, will come to the surface in that dynamic, right? It absolutely will. And one of the things that's one of our standbys was a concept called turn and talk. Mm-hmm. Because if you take yourself as the teacher off the stage, you set the wheels in motion and then you let them go, it's remarkable. 
And when you get that time to call back and to, and to hear what people said, then is your teaching skill. Then you can, you know, knowing that this person will dominate the conversation, we're going we're gonna to steer in ways that will help us to let everybody have a voice. Yeah. And it's safer when I don't want to share something that I said, but I'm comfortable to share something that somebody just said to me. Uh-huh. And now I have that protection of a little bit of cover. Yeah. And I can open my mouth and be okay. Yeah. And this is one of those things like uh, similar to when you <laughs> try and get the room to circle, people are like, oh, like I, I like the back row. I feel comfortable here. Right. And it, it brings about, it makes them a little bit vulnerable. Right. But it shifts the dynamic positively in that room. And, and this turn and talk thing is the same way. People are like, oh, I don't want to, I'm just here to listen. They almost want the lecture yeah. because then that takes the onus off of them. Right. But turning and talk, it's very effective because it engages them. I have to engage. I can't, yeah. I can't wander off in my thoughts. I can't scan my phone. I can't read a separate book. And so there's almost this dynamic of challenging the class a little bit, right? And pushing them a little bit and say, and that's where the engagement will happen where mentally they'll shift into that learning mode and retention goes up and all those things, right? That's right. And that's what when, and then they can truly apply. The spirit can really speak to them and give them that message that's personal for them. Now that we've talked about these doctrines and we've gotten to hear these ideas from other people and how it applies in their lives and what it means to them, then they can say, oh, this, this has something to do with me. Yeah. And that is when you get into people. Yeah. And that's what matters most. So what advice would you give to a Sunday, uh, award Sunday school president who, you know, maybe they're not the, the Sunday school teacher and they're observing that maybe it is more of a lecture. They're not seeing some of these, uh, these strategies used. I mean... How can they instruct or stimulate some of that to happen in a ward? That's the million dollar question. That's the million dollar question. You just (laughs) you just hit it on the nose because that's reality. Every new teacher that gets called, their schema, what they're what they're coming to the plate with is this is what teaching and learning looks like. Uh And and we've done it through years of schooling ourselves in formal ways, and we've also done it in years of experience in gospel classes. So modeling to me is the best answer to that question that we're gonna have to from time to time, step in and say, okay, here, let me throw one thought at you. And we did that a lot as a, as a state Sunday school presidency. We would sit in the classes and, and we would spur a little deeper conversation and we would force more engagement and more of that. And that's why turn and talk was such an easy one because you mm-hmm. could take any question that the teacher was going to ask anyway. And you can say, oh, okay, instead of asking this to the class as a whole, or instead of me asking this to you as an individual, Let's ask it to everybody and have everybody have some accountability. I mean, my percentage of response goes from, you know, 5% is going to answer to 50 immediately because if nothing else, you're going to hear someone else talking to you about their answer to that question. Yeah. I would imagine a lot of the time, like it, like you talk about the modeling, right? It's not that the, the Sunday school teacher doesn't want to do these things, but sometimes they just need ideas. And I bet there's people who are listening to this interview thinking, oh, I should do that, you know, Christ pitcher you know, exercise, you know, it's a great idea. Sometimes they just need a few ideas or, hey, have you thought about turn and talk? Have you thought about whatever it is? And then they think, oh, you know, I could do that. Okay. I understand how that's done better. And then creating a venue where you can model it, whether that's the Sunday school president takes a week and teaches the class and then asks the teachers to watch them model that or in the teacher council scenario uh, meeting, the council meeting, is to model some of those things. You know, let's practice some of these. How would you do it, right? What an amazing teacher council meeting that would be if it was all about what strategies could we use to teach this principle that aren't lecture. Let's just make a list of five or 10 or 20 
and what would engage our learners. That would be an amazing teacher council meeting. Yeah, that's awesome. And this sort of leads into your last principle as far as reimagining teaching strategies. Maybe give us some a bunch of ideas or if you were had a brand new Sunday school teacher in front of you and they were just looking, you know, give me some direction, some ideas. How would you coach them in that uh, in that new calling? Well, one of the things that we start when we're working with new school teachers, and that's, again, where I get a little bit of an advantage, yeah. is that you you have to recognize that everybody as teachers, we're on a different spectrum. We're all in a different place. And we don't start with 50 tools in our tool bag. We start with one or two. And so that would be my, my first response is, let's just try a couple of things. And it isn't, we don't want to overuse those. It's not, I'm going to get up and do turn and talk 50 times while I'm standing in front of <laughs> yeah. you. But understanding that it's going to take time and that if you keep focusing on people and doctrine, then you can start to reimagine what your class might look like in the end. You're going to start to see, you know, how then can these individuals in this class know that I love them? How can I be connected to them as a, as a teacher? And how can I give them as much of the burden is probably the right word uh-huh. and recognize that the things that pop out of their mouth can be just as true, just as revelatory as this fantastic quote that I found from the prophet that I was getting ready to read, but has less connection to them as an individual, perhaps. Yeah, that's helpful. So I'm going to, if you need to think about this and we can edit out the long pauses of thought. And so you'll you'll sound really smart as we go through this, but I'm curious for some more of these like strategies of or turn and talk or the picture idea or anything else that you tried in, in, a, in a classroom that you would suggest to a Sunday school teacher to try to stimulate some of this uh, engagement? What are some other ideas? You can just give us well, a laundry list that well, come and, to mind. And, and that's an easy one because what I would do is I would pull back out. You can still find Teaching No Greater right? Paul. It's still there. It's <laughs> Appendix F is what you want. And once you pull that out and you see some of the ideas, teach with music, teach with drama, I mean, what an amazing thing. Do a little play there. Oh, in your- <laughs> uh, giving high, giving, well, we don't have high priest class. We used to, right, right. you know, that was, that was always our joke. But, but what an amazing thing to give senior citizens crayons uh-huh. and to say, we're going to teach, you know, the, the doctrine of marriage and family. And I'm just, you know, yeah. whatever basic doctrine you want to, you want to pull out. We're going to, we're going to teach about the atonement. And wait, I have to use my creativity. I have to use, you know, a deeper sense of thought than just regurgitation, you know, reading a scripture. There are some powerful things you can do. I'll tell you, one of the, one of the best priesthood lessons that we ever had um, was one time when our teacher came in, had been called at the last minute, was, was unprepared with a formal lesson, but he knew the principle, you know, the, the piece of doctrine that he was supposed to teach. And he asked everybody at the table to prepare a thought or a scripture about that principle or doctrine. And all of a sudden, it was a true conversation. It was a, it was a council. Yeah. And the whole class, every person had a voice. Every person had a, a thought and a direction and a perspective that they could share. And the spirit was, was amazing. And the lesson from that isn't come unprepared. That's not at all the lesson. <laughs> right, right. Not, but sometimes that happens. <laughs> it right? does happen. Yeah. But the lesson is that if you have some strategies then the Lord can work through you in times when you don't even know how far you need to go. You don't even know what's going to happen here, and someone will need exactly what happens. Yeah, that's great. So Appendix F in Teaching No Greater Call. There, there's a whole list of teaching strategies, and there's quite a few that they took over into the new, you know, the yeah. new manual, but primarily music and art. But there's so many other ones yeah. that still have a lot of validity 
and are very powerful. Yeah, that's awesome. Do we cover it all? Any any other principle or thought? Well, in the end, everything that we do in the church, just as we do in the school, it's about action more than it is about head knowledge. Hmm. So the kind of the key principle to remember as whether you're a teacher, a Sunday school president, a, a bishop, whoever, is you know part of your duty is to invite. And sometimes it isn't that you have to make the specific invitation, but you have to lay the, the framework where people can receive that invitation, whether from the Spirit or from you or through you, yeah. the Spirit, and invite them to take some action on their gospel learning so that it becomes theirs. Yeah. Any, um, you know, now as you're in your role as bishop, do you find like any teaching strategies that spill over there that you find yourself? Because as, as a bishop, you're often teaching, maybe it's one-on-one in your office or in a ward council meeting. Any ideas come to the surface there? Yeah, that happens all the time. In fact, I have an excellent counselor in my wife uh-huh. who was assisting me with a BYD yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Um, assisting with a what? A, a, B, a BYD. A B- Bishop's Youth Discussion. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> acronyms. We have yeah, lots of right. acronyms in education. She reminded me of the power of turn and talk at our Bishop's Youth Discussion last night. And all of a sudden, instead of it being a Bishop's Youth Lecture, uh-huh. It truly became a bishop's youth discussion. And one of the fascinating things that happened after that was the impact of the doctrines that we were teaching. In this case, we were talking about preparing for general conference and prepare, preparing to hear the word of the Lord. You know, what what is really revelation is the doctrine that we were going after. That it, it made such an impact on our daughter that after the meeting, she says, I don't know that I'm ready. Oh, I yeah. don't know. I mean, there's <laughs> there's so much that the Lord is going to expect of me. If I ask the question what he wants me to do, he may actually answer. <laughs> and then I'm accountable for it. I right. don't know that I'm ready for these next steps as we're preparing for what the Lord has in store for us. And while that moment of anxiety, you know, isn't the goal, that's not what we were after. But what it did tell me is that her heart was touched and that it reached her and that the opportunity in particular to talk with somebody next to her gave her the, re- you know, the understanding of how real this is that she was excited about something coming up, the person next to her was excited about something coming up, and that there was some personal responsibility to take ownership of it. And that was that was a poignant moment for us. Oh, that's cool. All right, last random education question is, uh, we're recording this at the end of September of 2020, so we're transitioning back to going to church every week, but uh, we'll do a lot of Sunday school remotely through Zoom or whatever. Any tips, if you are teaching a class remotely through Zoom, to award any any tips you'd give to a, a teacher doing that, boy, that's a good. One. We're doing <laughs> we are doing a lot of that right now as teachers. One of the things that we have discovered is that Zoom still has the ability, and I'm just using that as an example. There are, there are others that you can do this with. They still have the ability to be very personal and very connected to individuals rather than to just a lecture a lecturing box. I've seen people use breakout rooms to great effect, where you can split people off and let them have that personal accountability and that hmm. conversation with somebody. And that's a far more effective use than just a broadcast lecture medium. Yeah. And a lot of time they're either, they're listening at home with a spouse or a family and the turn and talk would be just as effective there, right? Absolutely could use it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, the last question I have for you is as you think back over your time as a stake Sunday school president, uh, being a leader in that in that dynamic, how has leading there helped you be a better follower of Jesus Christ? Well, that is a good question. I mean, ultimately, one of the 
titles that we use for the Savior is the Master Teacher. And that's something that, you know, I, I take that seriously. I believe that, that there isn't any principle or any teaching strategy that I've, that I've dreamed up or anybody in any manual has dreamed up that he doesn't already have some command of. And part of that is joyous to me. I mean, his ability to empower me and his ability to continue to teach me is the key of whatever calling that I'm serving in. So my goal as a, as a learner is to continue to develop that character of Christ and to teach others to do the same. Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Today, I'm venturing up, at least virtually, to Boise, Idaho, at least the, uh, the Treasure Valley, as they call it, with Greg Nalder. How are you, Greg? I'm great, thanks. And where are you specifically? In uh, uh, I'm in Meridian, Idaho, which is oh, a little bit to the west of, of Boise. With that nice, beautiful temple, right? Right. Very nice. Cool. And are you born and raised there? How long have you, have you been there? I raised my family here. I actually grew up on the other side of Idaho where it's colder. Oh, yeah? Eastern Idaho? Yeah. Nice. What part of Eastern Idaho? A little town called Shelley near oh, Idaho oh, Falls. Of course. Yeah. Of course. My wife's from uh, from Blackfoot, and so okay. she has cousins up there. And I always I always uh, poke fun at those from Shelley that you have the weirdest looking high school ever. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> It didn't used to be that way, but we've got the best mascot ever, the, right. the russet potato. That's right. I mean, talk about a perfect Idaho mascot, right? <laughs> Very good. And do you, uh, are you currently working in, in uh, Meridian or? I am. Yep. Like most of the world in the United States, I guess, telecommuting these days. Right. And what do you do for work? I'm a software engineer. Oh, nice. Well, that's a, that's probably a, a good one to do remotely, right? It is. Yep. Works well. Cool. And a lifelong member of the church, uh, serve a mission, any of those? I am. Yep. I served a mission, uh, to Sevilla, Spain. Oh, wow. Back in the late 70s. Very yep. nice. And still got your Spanish, right? Un poco. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. So uh, you are currently serving as a Sunday school president. And before we get into the, the details of that, maybe just break down what the, the demographics of, of your ward. I know in Meridian and all, all along the Treasure Valley there, it, it can have a feel of Utah, right? I mean, maybe a little bit more spread out, but it's pretty saturated Latter-day Saint community. What's the demographics like? Yeah, so we're in, I live in a subdivision that is about one square mile, and there are three wards in that square mile, two meeting houses, one on the west boundary, one on the east boundary of that square mile. And I would say that we're probably about 70% in the neighborhood is probably LDS, you mm. might guess. Nice, nice. So you don't have to travel too far for church. I imagine you can walk to church, right? Church is within walking distance, yep. Very good. Awesome. And is this your first go at Sunday school president? This is my first time serving as a Sunday school president. Cool. So maybe break down what your thoughts were when that call came. I mean, walking into that responsibility, any expectations or thoughts that were maybe shattered or, or that did follow? Well, through? I had just come from serving in a bishopric and new bishopric was installed and the new bishopric asked me to serve as the Sunday school president. And I think I had, in the role of a bishop's counselor, supervised the Sunday school from time to time. So I had some idea of what the calling was and what the expectations were. But not long after I was called, things started to change in the way the church meetings were organized and Come Follow Me came along. So that, that kind of shook the boat a little bit, changed things up. So I got to learn some new things. Nice. 
Nice. And then uh, the whole pandemic shifted things even more, right? You're right. It's, a, <laughs> it's certainly a different role where for a while we didn't meet at all. Now here in Idaho, we're meeting twice a month. Our ward is split into two groups and we actually attend twice a month. But as far as the Sunday school goes, we have two classes, if you will. We have a gospel doctrine class and then we have a youth meeting where all the youth that are attending that week meet together as mm-hmm. a class. So we're not using the small classrooms. We're able to have more social distancing by meeting in like the gymnasium for the youth so they can spread out more. And since it's only half the ward for us, that means about 30 youth in attendance. Uh-huh. So it's not as big a group as if we had all the youth there, but that's kind of how things oh, flow nice. for us in our ward for Sunday school. Nice. So with those two classes, you do them in person during this time? We do in person. And each week that we have Sunday school, we're also broadcasting that over the internet so that those who are not attending that week can participate remotely or virtually. Oh, wow. That's great. Is that a pretty, I mean, are a lot of wards doing it like that? Or is that something that you guys are just trying? Well, everybody in our stake is kind of following that pattern. I can't speak to what's going on in other stakes. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. That's, uh, you know, obviously the in-person always works a little bit better as many are experiencing with the, the Zoom, but I don't know, maybe if there's somebody out there that's cracked the code on uh, Zoom Sunday school, I'd love to hear hear from them. But, and uh, so before before the, the pandemic and shutdown, did you, was it the typical, you know, Sunday school classes with some youth, you know, the adult Sunday school class, those types of things, or any unique approach with how you structured it? It was pretty standard, I think, for yeah. for how things normally work. You know, we had uh, Sunday school classes by age. So I think we had seven or eight Sunday school classes plus the gospel doctrine class, right? And each of those classes had typically a couple teaching the class because of the, the direction from our leaders to always have two adults present. So where possible, we'd make that a husband and wife calling sure. to lead those classes. And yeah, meeting every week, things are were a little interesting in how we structured teachers' councils mm. that I think were at most recent direction were to happen quarterly. And so we would coordinate that a little bit with primary. We found that doing those teachers' councils, trying to accommodate the needs of the primary and the youth Sunday school teachers and the adult Sunday school teachers all together didn't work too well for us. So our primary president leads or led those teachers' councils for the primary teachers, kind of independent of the Sunday school. So the Sunday school presidency would lead those councils for the Sunday school teachers, as well as those who taught youth organizations, the young men and young women's teachers. But the primary did their their teacher councils separately. Oh, nice. And that, that seemed to work out? It did. We would coordinate in terms of room space, et cetera. So we were typically, we tried not to hold our larger meeting at the same time the primary was holding their teacher's council. And the way things worked out with Sunday school and priesthood meetings happening every other week, we were able to hold the teacher's councils for the Sunday school teachers on the week that priesthood meeting was being held and vice versa. Hmm, Gotcha. Gotcha. So you made it work for sure. And do you, did you, do you have counselors that work with you and you're calling? Yes, I have two counselors. I, from recent readings of the, of the handbook, counselors are, have become optional, but I have two right. good counselors that, that I use. And, 
and uh, they've been really helpful and instrumental. We uh, hold presidency meetings and discuss what we've seen as the needs in the Sunday school, and oftentimes, most often, the best input and feedback comes from my counselors giving ideas and suggestions. My counselors are a little bit broader demographic than me. Both are younger than I am. One's a lot younger and one's closer to my age, but they bring different perspectives. Yeah. Awesome. And is there any particular like responsibilities or direction you give to each counselor? Or is, how would you say you, you use those two counselors? We kind of, one of our, I guess, emphasis is on the planning and preparing and, and presenting the teacher's counsels. Mm-hmm. And we rotate that responsibility. So each quarter, a different member of the presidency takes responsibility for leading those meetings. But we all provide input. Kind of our weekly responsibility as a presidency is to be out and attending Sunday school classes. So we don't do that in a particularly structured way, but it's rare that we attend the class that we would normally attend if we weren't in the Sunday school presidency. You know, there's occasionally one of us will attend the gospel doctrine class, but we try to rotate around and, and just attend different Sunday school classes to observe the teaching that's going on and see what sort of things we might use as as material or topics for the next upcoming teacher's council. Yeah, that's great. That's, that seems quite effective. So as I do with these How I Lead interviews, I typically ask those I interview to prepare a handful of uh, principles that they, that they lead by, and uh, you've been kind enough to do that. And so let's go through these. The first one you mentioned is follow your leaders. Expand on that. So the thing that obviously comes to mind is you know, be obedient to those who preside over you. What really was maybe deeper in my mind when I when I thought of that principle is not ignoring the materials that have come to us from materials and quotes programs, if you will, that has come have come to us from the leaders in Salt Lake. Um, You know, sometimes we get a manual and we think, ah, there's a new manual, but I have a way of teaching, so I'm going to continue that. And if you take that approach, you'll kind of miss the boat with Come Follow Me. Um, Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the key things I noticed right away in Come Follow Me is that it presents this pattern for teaching. And there are three simple principles in the pattern for teaching. The first one is invite sharing. And the second one is teach doctrine. And the third one is encourage study at home. And if you start reading through the lessons in Come Follow Me in the teacher's manual, it breaks each lesson into those three areas. And so that's one of the things that we reiterate and teach over and over again in our teachers' councils to try to make sure that people understand that in the Come Follow Me program, or the approach to teaching is more leading a discussion and not so much a lecture as it used to be. And so we try to really help folks see that it's a different approach than it used to be to, quote, teaching a class. And it is intended to really encourage and foster that home study by the participants in the class. Yeah. So, you know, if if you take an approach of ignoring that, that's kind of what I meant by following your leaders. Similarly, you know, if we're at a loss as to what we think we should cover for topic material in our teacher's councils, we usually turn to the, the manual. Teaching in the Savior's Way has a lot of excellent topics that, again, are I consider guidance from the prophets and the brethren on 
how to best fulfill that calling as a Sunday school teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, that principle is crucial, especially during this transition of come follow me. I mean, it's sort of feels like the transition's done. I mean, we've had a lot of time to get used to it, but you know, traditions die hard, right? And, uh, and sometimes the way we've always done it wins over, you know, anything else we try. So, but you gotta be intentional. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting. The pandemic has provided an opportunity for us to lapse into old ways. I've observed that we're missing those teachers' councils to to reinforce these principles of don't forget to invite people to share. You know, find out what spiritual insights your class members had. They might have gotten something really important that you didn't. Yeah. So does a lot of you, you know, you, you talk about avoiding, the, you know, the lecture and things like that. Do, do Does a lot of your your direction as a Sunday school president come in those teacher council meetings? Or how do you go about helping people avoid the, the lecture trap? Yeah, it is mostly in those teacher council meetings. It's tough for me personally to try to take someone aside and give them individual guidance on their teaching style. My personal feeling is it comes across with a little softer, kinder hand if it's done in a group as opposed to an individual instruction. So I can't ever remember taking a, an instructor aside and offering them guidance on on their teaching style. I, I mm-hmm. prefer to do that in a group where it's a little less focused, a little less maybe confrontational. Mm. And not that you're like calling them out in the group, right? But you're generally teaching. The right, person. right. Yeah. You know, and it, it's possible that there are a couple of instructors who need the reinforcement more than others, but still done in the group, it comes across better, I think. Yeah, I would imagine that, uh, you know, just modeling in, in that teacher council, I mean, that's a, you're teaching in a teacher council in some sense, like modeling some of those things that just a lot of the times it's not that they, they want to lecture, they want to do it a certain way, but they don't know what the other ways look like. And so by modeling that, uh, you help them along. Exactly. And, and it's hard to change. You know, I, yeah. I, of course, grew up in the lecture style of teaching Sunday school. And uh, it's a shift for everybody, including me running a teacher's council. Yeah. So more specifically about lecture, like, is there any tactic or encouragement or direction you've given that have really helped teachers get away from the lecture, especially during the pandemic time? Well, that's a good question. The part of inviting sharing seems to work best with adults with gospel doctrine. Folks come to gospel doctrine having studied themselves and with plenty to share. With the youth, it's a bigger challenge to get them to come prepared and also in a mindset to share what they learned. I think uh, one of the things is to be persistent about that teaching style with the youth, that they're going to be invited every week to share what they've learned and to not be afraid of a little bit of downtime or silence as, as they, it might take a few minutes for the youth to reflect back on what they read, what they studied, and some of the impressions they had. You know, they come into class excited to see their friends and not necessarily in a in the mood to talk about serious religious mat- topics. And so you have to give them a chance to think through it. So when you ask a question, don't be afraid of the silence that might follow. Mm. Yeah. Next one is observe teaching. And you, you mentioned earlier that uh, you and your counselors are constantly, you know, in, in different classes observing. And how do you go about that? Yeah, again, uh, this will probably be a brief topic because we don't do it very planned. You know, we'll see each other at the end of sacrament meeting and say, where are you headed? And Or if we head to a class and one of the counselors is already there in that class, we go find another. 
oftentimes will uh, act as substitute teachers as well for classes if a teacher doesn't show up. The one you asked about the responsibilities that my counselors take, one of the counselors is responsible for calling substitute teachers in our ward under the direction of the bishop. Teachers who are called are asked to not find their own substitute, but rather to contact a member of the Sunday School Presidency, and we have the stewardship and responsibility of finding a substitute teacher. Occasionally, something will come up spur of the moment, somebody forgot to tell us, or they fall ill at the last minute, and so there's no substitute planned. And so in those cases, a member of the presidency will take the class. Yeah. But uh, we just try to always be observing. We'll uh, reach out if we see something that was perhaps a problem and communicate together. More normally, we just meet together to discuss uh, upcoming teacher councils and things we've observed and what might be the yeah. needs of the of the teachers. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet that just that practice of observing leads to, as far as the agenda and, and topics that you'll cover in your council meetings, your teacher council meetings. Right? Exactly. Almost always that's the case. That yeah. uh, Lots of things that are probably typical throughout the church, things that might be said that offend people, helping give guidance and instruction on on how to be cautious about those things and sensitive to problems that are typical in 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 our society nowadays and and to be really diplomatic and uh non-confrontational while at the same time not being apologetic for the doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate your perspective on or your approach with with substitutes because uh a lot of, you know, this can sort of just be a detail that isn't covered and the teachers maybe going out of town or suddenly sick or, and they feel like it's sort of their responsibility to find that, but to really have a, a system and whether it's the system that you, you said or another, like, I think it's just important that, I mean, cause you as a Sunday school president have, have a responsibility over the teaching in the ward. Right. And so, right. And you know, it's I, good that you're in the loop. I actually having served in, in a bishop, several bishoprics actually, can really appreciate the bishop's request for this sort of structure. There are always things that the bishop knows about members and their standing in the church that may make them inappropriate to serve as substitute teachers. And nobody else in the ward knows those things. So, you know, when including the Sunday school president. So a little more detail on that is my bishop has a list of people from which I will draw substitutes that I have given him. And he's at liberty to cross names off that list and tell me I'd rather you not use this person or that person. So our bishop is appropriately concerned about who interacts with primarily the youth, but gospel doctrine as well. So it reaches back to the bishopric through for appropriate uh, selection and callings of people who interface with our youth. Yeah. And I, you know, I like the, the approach of having the Sunday school presidency members as a large part of that as those backup or those sub substitute teachers, because in the Sunday school presidency, uh, you know, you're over the teaching, but sometimes you don't get a lot of opportunity to teach. And so it's great to have that opportunity more often than not. Yeah. My counselor who's responsible, responsible for the substitutes always snatches those up when he has the chance. Nice. <laughs> he loves nice. to teach. Love that. Awesome. Last uh, point you put is uh, council together. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we've covered it a, a bit already. As I suggested, 
I'll come into our presidency meetings with my agenda and how I think things are going to go. And oftentimes I'll get great feedback from my counselors that will, will redirect me and we'll end up with an outcome that wasn't what I thought was the way we would head. So, you know, I'm a guy who's kind of headstrong and makes up his own mind and he has it figured out, but I've really learned to appreciate my counselors and their different perspectives and uh, have found counseling with, with them to be invaluable. Another counselor that is really important to us that we invite to most of our presidency meetings is the bishopric member who's over Sunday school, hmm. because he certainly brings a perspective that, that we don't have as the Sunday school presidency and can offer really valuable input. And finally, when we do teachers' councils, we get to hear a lot of feedback from the teachers that of things that, you know, we're not in all their classes every week. You know, we maybe get to each person's class a couple of times a year. So they have things that happen and go on and needs and perspectives that they share that were, were unexpected. So again, it's important when you hold those teachers' councils to not do all the talking, but to give those teachers an opportunity to share and counsel and and get ideas from one another. Yeah, I think that's uh, the most valuable in any. I mean, that's why we do these how I lead interviews. Is it's just interesting to hear what the other guy's doing, you know? Right. And uh, whether you agree with it or you'll adopt some, some things or not, just interesting to hear what he's doing, you know. And and there's a lot of learning from each other. Yeah. In these these callings, you know, you quickly learn that you're not the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And with these teacher council meetings, how have you continued to do them regularly during the shutdown and, and during this sort of awkward pandemic time? No, we're not doing teachers councils at all. So that's a yeah. quick answer. So we have. <laughs> and I don't think you're you're alone there. I mean, because I don't know. And, and maybe there's benefit or there's a different approach to do it. But, uh, you know, it's just just not time with things. You know, classes are consolidated and there's not there's not a lot of teaching happening as compared to the traditional approach. Yeah, that does hint a little bit at how we're running the teaching of our classes. We had two gospel doctrine teachers already called in our class, and they continue to alternate the Sundays that they teach gospel doctrine. But we had a whole bunch of Sunday school teachers called, but we only hold two youth Sunday school meetings every month now, right? So Mm, we uh, go down our list of Sunday school instructors that have been called and set apart, and we draw from them and call them and invite them to lead the discussion for youth Sunday school once a month. And so, as you might imagine, a Sunday school teacher who used to teach twice a month now might teach once every six months. Yeah. And that's, and in general, that's just the tough thing about this time with, with callings, especially in areas like where I live and where you live, where there's so many good, capable members that, uh, man, there's just not the day-to-day, week-to-week tasks that we had before meeting in person. And so it's hard to keep everybody busy, but I guess we can always reach out to one another in our ministering assignments. So awesome. Anything else? I'm just curious in the context of the pandemic, any other approach or adjustment or thing that you've you've done that you haven't mentioned yet? I don't think so. Okay. It's, it's, uh, I found it to be kind of challenging to feel like I'm uh, like I'm magnifying my calling during this time, you know? Yeah. It's a, no, a lot of people are there. Yeah. But, uh, Hey, I'll be the first one after this interview. I think, uh, you can rest assured you're doing, you're doing just fine. So well, trying try to keep the balls in the air. Yeah, that's for sure. What about any, any apps or tools or ways you communicate as a presidency? 
like technical things? Anything that, that you use that may be unique? I use a, uh, a spreadsheet in uh, Google Sheets where mm-hmm. we organized classes and instructors and uh, used that, that as a communication vehicle between the presidency and the bishopric as well in terms of possible instructors for the classes. Sometimes there are circumstances where a member of one of the youth classes needs to attend a different class. And so that it kind of is our roster of who's in what class. And uh, it's just a vehicle. It's a shared document shared between the bishopric and the Sunday school presidency where we can see who those instructors are, who the students are in the classes. And we even have the room assignments listed there. So we know what rooms are going to be utilized. Then one of the members of the presidency posts a little list on the wall next to the room in in the building of which class is meeting there and who the participants are and who the teacher is. So especially at turn of the year time, when you start a new class, it's easy to find where you're going. Yeah, well, that's great. I love that. And it sounds like that's just sort of your electronic home base where if people have a question, you can maybe find the answer there as far as structure and who's called where and right. whatnot. Yeah. yeah. And your uh, software engineer expertise, you haven't programmed some dramatic application that solves all the world's ills with, through Sunday school or something? No, I'm happy to get away from technology. Or <laughs> used to be happy to. Now I get it on Sunday too. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And as far as uh, calling new teachers, is, uh, how does your bishopric handle that? Do they usually just, you just tell them you need a, a new teacher here or there, and then they... They usually ask you, for recommendations. Then they take those into consideration and extend callings that they feel are appropriate. But it's been pretty in, encouraging to see how uh, coordinated we usually are, you know, common thinking and, and inspiration yeah. with regards to that. Yeah, that's great. Well, this has been fantastic, Greg. Any topic or point that we uh, didn't get to that that we want to make sure we hit? I guess uh, one thing I've learned generally, having grown up in the church and had a lot of different callings, some of which worked out great and some of which I didn't do so well, is just that uh, every church calling, I think the Lord intends for him to be a blessing to us. And if we're finding that our calling isn't a blessing, see if you can make it work by finding things that you might not be doing right. And if it still doesn't work, maybe you need to talk to the bishopric and get a change. You know, calling should be a blessing for us. I think that's what the Lord's intent is. And so try to make your calling a blessing. I I once had a stake president tell us uh, this was at the end of bishopric training meetings. The last thing he'd say was, brethren, enjoy your callings. And I thought that was a little weird given the the load we were carrying. But after a while, I kind of got it that it's supposed to be a joy. Make it be that way. The dog found us. <laughs> awesome. I love that. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great way to look at it, that uh, we should really enjoy these callings, regardless of what calling it is. And if not, prayerfully see how you can you can enjoy it. You know, Last question I have for you, Greg, is uh, you know, during your time, both as a leader in, in the Sunday school, but elsewhere, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? The callings I've enjoyed the most are those where I've been able to serve and love love my brothers and sisters and get to know them better. If I think back about callings I've had, those that have been most rewarding to me are those where I've given more of myself and, and learned to love the people I'm serving. And maybe indirectly, that is a manifestation of the second great law, you know? Yeah. 
that we get most joy and live the gospel best when we're loving one another and serving them. That concludes my interview with James Grandin and Greg Nalder. Big shout out to them, brethren. Appreciate them allowing me to stick a mic in front of their face and ask them some questions. And uh, I have no doubt that you were probably enriched by this interview. Now, you may or may not be a Sunday school president. If you're not, maybe someday you will be. But you also need to send this to someone who is a Sunday school president. Maybe in your ward, a friend, whomever. Just throw it out there, even if you don't know them very well. Maybe you're in a new ward, and this is a great opportunity to reach out to someone and get to know them and say, hey, brother, I'm down on uh, Oak Street, and you should check out this interview and the Leading Saints podcast, and uh, let's get together safely, of course. That We really appreciate that. And I would love to know what, you know, you can actually uh, click on the tag on leadingsaints.org with Sunday School. If you go to leadingsaints.org, scroll down. I believe it's uh, classified as teaching. But if you click on that, you'll find more great content for Sunday School and other teaching callings. We also have our Teaching Saints Virtual Summit Library that is phenomenal. So if you are in a teaching calling and you've not experienced that, what are you waiting for? And again, you can find a link to that at uh, leadingsaints.org. In fact, we will we'll put it in the show notes so people know where to go to find that information, and you will definitely appreciate it. Now, what other callings should we cover on the How I Lead segment? We've done them all. Okay, not all. Maybe there's probably some calling we haven't done, but as far as the leadership callings, the ward council callings, we've, I think we've done them all. We're probably due to, to do a primary calling, but maybe during this uh, pandemic, it'd be interesting to know what calling would be most helpful during to, to hear how others are leading during this pandemic. Maybe maybe I need to get, get back on bishops. You know, back when I was a bishop, I was biased and I was interviewing too many bishops, I thought, but I was learning a lot, so I kept doing it. But maybe you need to go back there and uh, figure out how bishops are leading during this time. Uh, I also have plans to do award mission leader to tackle that, to see how people are uh, leading as award mission leader, running their award missions. So uh, lots to cover. It's great. So if you have an idea or suggestion or an individual who we should interview, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and uh, send me a message. Love to hear it. And I remind you once again to text the word lead to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.